I'm Audrey Hollenberg Duffy. And I'm her husband, Tim Hollenberg Duffy. We are a married couple doing pastoral ministry together who also enjoys theological chats. Especially as they relate to the church, an institution we know to be crucial for faith and practice. So grab a cup of coffee and join us for our meanderings as we ponder a faithful Jesus way forward. Welcome to this episode of Coffee with the Pastors, the podcast. We are really going to start digging into the Gospel of Mark as our congregation, the Oakton Church of the Brethren, does a read through of the entire Gospel of Mark over the course of Lent. So we're going to deal with some of that here in a moment, but as we always begin the podcast, Audrey, where have you seen God recently? Uh, baby pigs. Of course. That's what everybody would have thought. <laughs> yeah, this weekend we went to, uh, there's like a local farm park uh, that we take the kids to some sometimes, and I had seen on their Facebook page that they had baby lambs and baby pigs, and so I talked you into going. <laughs> Didn't have to talk me too no, much. No, no, the kids like seeing all the farm animals. And, and it was a nice warm day. So It was. It was one of those springtime days of February. Right. <laughs> yeah, not today. Not today, no. <laughs> no it snowed today. So anyway, I, there was something, I don't know, comforting, even of the big mother pig taking care of her little babies. They, the scripture is the mother, the mother hen collecting the chicks under her wings, but... It could be a big mama pig, too, mm-hmm. that <laughs> that is nursing your little baby piglets. The piggies were all warm and snug under their, their warming light and yeah. new life. Yeah. And they were adorable, which is an added bonus. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tim? Well, I just got invited to uh, perform a wedding for somebody that, that I admire. Oakton has done... A lot of work here in the last few years of developing new community partners. So the person that asked me to do their wedding is uh, not a member of the church, but a community partner. Mm-hmm. And it's just really neat to kind of see the way intentionally pursuing and being active with community partners uh, creates these kinds of relationships of of trust. And you know, I mean, pastors say all the time that what we love about the job is that we get to be in these moments of people's lives, like the the highs and the lows, which so often are where we take the time to notice God. Here I have an opportunity for somebody who wouldn't traditionally be one of my sheep. That was that felt like God's activity amidst it all. Mm, certainly. Really neat. I apologize still for my uh, raspy voice. It's uh, another week of cold stuff, but uh, maybe in the next podcast I'll have a clearer voice. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're working on the first three-ish chapters. Three full. Yeah. Yeah, the first three full chapters of the Gospel of Mark as we are reading through during the course of Lent. So we thought we'd walk through some of the main stories of this section and hit some of the the most significant themes. Uh, last week we gave a little bit of a preview of some of those biggest themes 
that might pop up, and we talked a lot about the very first verse that leaves no secrets about this being good news about Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the Christ, and the Son of God. Right. <laughs> and then Jesus' very first uh, pronouncements in his ministry is about the kingdom of God, which is near, so repent and believe. And then he hops on this uh, this preaching tour, inviting people to, to follow and mm-hmm. see what it's about. Yeah, before we dive into much beyond that, um, one of the things that we're encouraging our Oakton folks to do is to to not only sit with the text daily, but to also reflect on it a little bit and make it a personal engagement with the actual stories that they're reading. And so we have a list of questions that we're encouraging them to reflect upon, and we're going to use those kind of as a guide, Not maybe not every single question for every single pericope, in the text, pericope being the fancy word for story, <laughs> section, small, small, small bite-sized story. And so these are the questions that we're encouraging people to reflect on. The first couple are just engaging literary analysis. The first question is, how would I summarize the theme? So I take the story and put it into a sentence. Mm-hmm. How would you explain what this story is saying? The second is, how does this connect with other scriptures in the Gospel of Mark? And so, in other words, put it back in context with the full reading that we're doing, mm-hmm. uh, even though you're just reading a small section. And then the next question is, how does this connect with other scriptures outside of the Gospel of Mark? So put it in conversation with a larger biblical narrative that's carrying throughout the Old and New Testament. The last two questions are more discerning how God might be speaking to you through this particular text, reading it at this particular time in your life. Mm-hmm. And so the, the fourth question is, what does this scripture teach me about God? And what does this scripture teach me about how I should think, be, and act? And then the final question is, what might God be saying to me through this particular text? So those are the main questions that we want people to be thinking about as we we read through. And so as we talk about these texts, we're going to kind of summarize a little bit about what, what they're talking about, and we might draw connections to other parts of the gospel or other scriptures, but we'll also be thinking about more of the making making meaning piece of it, too. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's launch in maybe with like Mark 16. This is after Jesus has begun his ministry and that line about the kingdom of of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. At that point, Jesus uh, calls the very first disciples. You got the the core four, right? Simon and uh, Andrew and James and John. They're all fishermen, and they all respond immediately, and they follow. (laughs) I was was going back to look because the, the immediately in verse 20 popped out to me immediately. Yeah. Because we were talking about how last time you know, Mark really moves quickly through the narrative and you get these immediately's and like right away and suddenly. And, and yeah. um, I was just checking to see if this is our first immediately. And I think it is. Ah. <laughs> nope, nope. Never mind. Verse the spirit 12. immediately drove him out into the wilderness yep. too. Yep. 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 So there was a, a, another immediately actually. And there's another one in 18, 18 and 20. Yeah. Th- there you go. There's a lot. There's of a lot. Fast, <laughs> fast, fast pace. pace. So you get the calling of some of the first disciples, and then the next thing that they do is Jesus' first healing. And actually, this sets up a, a 
big old sequence of healings, essentially for the, the rest of chapter one. Right. The first healing is a man with an unclean spirit. Some people might say a demon. The NRSV says unclean spirit. The interesting thing about this story to me is that this unclean spirit speaks to Jesus and knows who he is. Mm -hmm. um, and Jesus is like, shh. <laughs> <laughs> They're not supposed to know Don't <laughs> Don't tell anyone. In fact, he says, be silent and come out of him. And certainly he does, and people are amazed by his his authority. Um, the next healing is, is Simon's mother-in-law, which sets off a whole slew of healings. Mm. And then Jesus heads out into the hills of Galilee, and he cleanses a leper. A leper being somebody with this skin disease who is ostracized from the community, and Jesus heals him and tells him to go present himself to the priest, which would be in accordance with the the laws of Leviticus and how somebody enters back into society mm -hmm. under the priest's inspection. So you get this rapid sequence of these kind of miraculous events that really sets up, I think, for for readers of that earliest context, maybe a miraculous healer kind of person, right. um, which wouldn't necessarily have been unheard of. Mm -hmm. You know, these healers that go town to town and have this kind of following, but there's something else going on with Jesus. Yeah, I, I was reading in a commentary recently that was trying to kind of break down the movement of the Gospel of Mark, and it called these first eight-ish chapters establishing Jesus's power and presence. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I liked that because Jesus is going to be with people and he's showing his power through his healings. But also here in a little bit, you're going to get a little bit more of his teachings. And so you're yeah. getting a sense of power and authority in, right. in what he has to say. One of the commentaries that I was reading said that the, the sequence of healings in, in chapter one do not stoke a outright conflict with anybody. Hmm. There could be something bubbling under the surface here, a questioning of where does this authority come from? But there's no outright conflict. But that changes immediately <laughs> <laughs> when you turn the page over mm -hmm. to over to chapter two, which I would say the entirety of chapter two sets up the conflict that will be the problem with Jesus mm -hmm. <laughs> for the rest of the book. Because essentially, he starts claiming an authority that the religious leaders don't think he should be claiming. The first hint that there's a problem is not because he's healing people, but because he forgives sins. Right, and it's a great sequence. So this is the story, you probably know the story of the friends who drop the paralytic man down through a roof because they can't get their friend into the presence of Jesus. The crowd is, is too thick. They drop him down through the roof, and Jesus engages with this man. First, he forgives the man's sins, <laughs> which, okay, you wonder, is the guy there for that? Maybe not, right? Although there certainly was a uh, an ancient connection between your sins and your physical ailments. Mm -hmm. um, but Jesus clearly is doing something more than that. He's you almost wonder if he's intentionally poking the bear in this moment. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. What what is what exactly does he say? This is in chapter two, verse five. Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning their hearts. Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And at once Jesus perceived his spirit in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. But so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Stand up, take your mat, and go home. And he stood up and immediately took his mat. <laughs> yeah, so he's setting these two things up almost dualistically, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, I've been healing people for the last chapter here, and you haven't had any problems until I said, your sins are forgiven, mm-hmm. right? What's going on here? Which is easier? The The scribes are assuming it is easier to to heal. Well, <laughs> not really. Because the legal code has been set up for exactly prescribing the way for you to have your sins forgiven, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to do it outside of that. So conflict, conflict arrives. starts, yep. Yeah, and then in the first part of the second chapter, he, he angers the religious leaders. In the next part, he angers all <laughs> by calling a tax collector to be in his inner circle of people. Yeah. Levi. Mm-hmm. And Levi gets up and follows him, just the same as the others had. Yep. And then not only does Levi follow him, but Levi invites him over for a dinner with tax collectors and sinners, and that doesn't help either. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> the next uh, two teachings rub the religious leaders in particularly the wrong way. They ask about fasting. Why aren't your people fasting? And Jesus essentially says, discern the times, man. The Son of Man is here. This isn't a time for fasting. This is a time of feasting. Mm -hmm. Um, He messes a little bit with religious ceremony. And then he messes with the the regulations of Sabbath law. His disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath, which is included in the, the discouragement to reap and thresh and that kind of thing. And... That gets them in trouble. He actually roots it in an Old Testament story where uh, someone that they would call faithful and wonderful man, King David, does the exact thing that they're saying is unlawful. <laughs> right, right. And he's, he's like, okay, you be the judge there because he got a, he got a pass on that. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to let my people get a pass on that? We're on a faithful mission too. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we be allowed to eat? And he's got that great line, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. I love that text. Yeah? I bring that verse out so often when we in the church try to serve our structures rather Uh than setting up our structures to serve our mission. Hmm. So what do you mean by that? So, for instance, a lot of us in the church are operating out of business models that Mm -hmm. served us for a time. And now we're struggling to fill them in the same way, whether that be because of busyness. And so our volunteer base is, is harder to get to say yes, or we're smaller. And so we're not able to fill all the 
committees and chairs and all that stuff in the same way. And we keep going at it like it's in our bylaws to to do this. And so we are burning out our people, burning out what should be a very celebratory community to serve something that's not helping us. Mm-hmm. And so we need to rethink how we do our structures and set them up so that they can facilitate a place that is worshiping God. <laughs> we are mm. not serving our structures. Our structures mm-hmm. should be in place that they can help us do our mission better. Mm. Mm. And that that goes with a lot of assumed we've always done it this way mm-hmm. kind of framework. Well, if the way you've done it is not helping you be a worshipful body that is able to celebrate together the good news of Jesus Christ, then change it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. are not to worship your structures. And I, I see Jesus doing a lot of that when the pushback he gets is to keep with a structure that mm. has been placed that has served them maybe for a time, but maybe it's been taken to a degree that makes it so they can no longer fulfill their mission in God, right. that he starts questioning it. It definitely sets up to me that God has purposes underneath these laws, Yes, right? They're not the, willy-nilly. They're the, the Ten Commandments. I mean, the Sabbath is not fleshed out completely into all these regulations in the Ten Commandments, but the Sabbath makes the Ten Commandments, right? Mm-hmm. But the Ten Commandments do not exist just because. They, they do not exist to, to set my people, merely to set my people apart from other peoples. No, they have, they have a purpose. So what's the purpose of the Sabbath? Well, that one actually we get the intent in, in a couple different places. Yeah, there's, there's two that come out as the people of faith are trying to make sense of why this law would be important. And one is because you're not God and even God rested on the seventh day. And so on the seventh day, you should rest. Right. And the other is to give your, your servants, your slaves, your animals, the fields rest. Because you were once a slave in Egypt. Right. And so there's almost a civil right (laughs) to rest in all of creation Mm -hmm. um, that we shouldn't be manipulators of. What does all of that have to do with the disciples walking, getting hungry, reaching out, and rolling some uh, wheat in their hands so they can have a little sustenance to keep traveling? I think very little. (laughs) Because the whole point of that law is, I think it's twofold. It's one of those transition laws where it's in part about honoring God, but it's also about loving one another and loving ourselves as we love one another. But the idea that is really about human thriving in relationship with God. And so if you're asking someone to, to not do something that would lead to thriving, the thriving of life, I right. think that actually defeats the purpose of that yeah. law. Right. And so we are going to go all in on this. They're, they're walking clearly to the synagogue on the Sabbath. They get there. There's a man with a withered hand. Jesus Jesus heals it. Mm-hmm. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? And they were silent. So he's he's setting himself up clearly as this as this new authority by which to interpret scripture. Yeah. Yeah, that's a 
significant threat to the keepers of the law, the keepers of scripture, the keepers of that of that tradition. So the one thing I would add at the end of that story is that is the final straw for the Pharisees to conspire with the Herodians to figure out how to destroy him. So mm-hmm. all of chapter 2 into that beginning of chapter 3 is this is the mistakes. conflict, right? Yeah. This is this is Jesus has set himself in tension with uh, and now he's going to continue on. You get the rest of chapter three. I would say is mostly about the forming of of a new community, mm-hmm. right? Oh to, yeah, definitely. Because you get you get now a crowd that has started to gather, and then Jesus picks his twelve, who are going to be kind of the closest to him, and then you get another crowd, and this is where we get. I think especially language about what this new community is meant to be. Right, because his family. Yeah. <laughs> his biological family is getting concerned. Yes. Maybe because he just claimed full authority over the Sabbath. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so they're coming to, to, to take him away. And uh, Jesus takes this opportunity to teach the people on who really is the family of God. and those who do the will of my father are the family of God. (laughs) Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't necessarily have to be a casting out of his biological family, but it's definitely a drawing in of the people to whom he has become especially sympathetic, empathetic, who've been following him, the wounded ones. So really, so in the first three chapters, he establishes his ministry as one of of healing, casting out demons, and teaching. Mm -hmm. And not only teaching, but teaching as one with authority over matters of the law and scriptures, with this very rabbinical question-asking kind of way. And then he establishes this alternative community. He begins to establish this alternative community who might treat his as the lens by which they will view the faith. My sense is that we've kind of established the foundation. And from here, we'll get much more teaching than we've had in the first three chapters. It'll get a little bit more about what the kingdom of God is. This is kind of establishing... Jesus's power and authority, which is where he will launch off of in terms of being able to teach more about this kingdom of God that we know is near, that Mm -hmm. he said right there at the offset. Mm -hmm. We haven't gotten Mm -hmm. much in the way of clear understanding of what this kingdom looks like, and yet we have. (laughs) We've gotten certainly a a glimpse of what it's not, Mm -hmm. right? It's not rigid human structures <laughs> that serve themselves. Mm-hmm. It probably involves feasting in the presence of God. It's probably a wildly inclusive bunch of people who have come to find a shared commitment in this in this way, find a shared commitment in doing the will of God. So so given this kind of like broad description of how Mark's gospel carries us through these first three chapters, what does it teach us about who God is and how we are to be in relationship and in response to God? I read, I read in a commentary specifically about the text that I preached on this past Sunday 
that some of those specific teachings are about Jesus urging people to discern the times, and that discerning the times means looking for where is God, where is Jesus in all of this, because of that reality of where God is, that should help me interpret the scriptures through the lens of, of what Christ is up to, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, these first few chapters just anchor my faith in Jesus as the ultimate lens mm -hmm. by which to, to view my reality. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the root of family. He's the root of decision-making. He's the root of authority, which jives 100% with uh, my Church of the Brethren upbringing, which has a, a very Christocentric, mm -hmm. Christ-at-its-center approach to faith and practice. Yeah. How about you? Is there, are there certain things jumping out to you for application personally? Well, I kind of already, already dove into the one way I've applied part of what Jesus is doing in these original texts. He's starting to do some deconstruction of structures that are no longer serving the intent that I think they were meant to. And I think this is something that happens pretty regularly in any type of institution, is the, the founding institution is mission-driven, mm -hmm. and then you start to build a structure that's based on that mission. But if you don't kind of keep cyclically asking yourself, is that structure still serving the mission? Then often that institution starts serving the structure rather than doing the work. And I think that's the tendency in every single denomination uh, in terms of like a startup of a group of people that feel really passionate about these particular principles and want to do something based on that. And then we end up building a structure around it that helps to serve it for a time, but the meaning gets pulled from the structure mm. at some point we end up serving the structure. And so we're in a, I think, a critical time in the church where we need to ask those meaning questions again and making sure that our structures are actually serving our mission. Mm -hmm. And I mean that both on a local level and a big level. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot that I personally can do in terms of the big level, but congregational wise, you know, I feel like we are doing some really important work at Oakton at making sure we are facing people and not necessarily maintaining structures and systems. To me, that is when I when I mentioned that the one commentator talked about this first section being about power and presence. We see a Jesus who is present with people, mm. Mm. and so I think that is vitally important for people who are claiming to live in His name. Is that we are present to people, mm -hmm. and that be primary. You sound like somebody who maybe just got a. Doctor of Ministry in Church Leadership or something. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Such structures are on the mind, I think, Audrey. That's yes. good. And, and I, I, I want to be clear, like, structure is not bad. No. And you have to create structures to be able to do anything. Otherwise, you're going to be spinning your wheels in the mud. But the problem is, is that often we create them and then we don't have a critical lens to continue to think about them as right. life changes and, and evolves. We serve them yeah. rather than what lies underneath, which Jesus says, the kingdom of God, and repent and believe, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so we're going to jump ahead next week into chapter four, 
and beyond. Yeah. Uh, we hope you'll stick with us and keep up with the readings if you if you can. Again, the uh, link to the website that has the reading plan is in tandem with the with the episode description, so you can follow along there. As always, we welcome feedback and further conversation. If you want to reach out to us, feel free to message us at Coffee with the Pastors Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this has been Coffee with the Pastors. Live for the glory of God and our neighbor's good. The primary purpose of this podcast is for conversation and faith exploration. It is intended for private, non-commercial use and does not necessarily reflect the opinion of any agency or organization.